Recode Radio presents Recode Decode, coming to you from the Vox Media Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, Executive Editor of Recode. You may know me as the future leader of the Republic of Not Gilead, but in my spare time, I talk tech and you're listening to Recode Decode, a podcast about tech and media's key players, big ideas and how they're changing the world we live in. You can find more episodes of Recode Decode anywhere you listen to podcasts. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and more. Or you can just visit recode.net slash podcasts for more. Today in the red chair is Bruce Miller, the creator of the new adaptation of Margaret Atwood's The Handmaid's Tale, which recently debuted on Hulu. He previously has written and produced for shows like Eureka, Alphas, and The 100. Bruce, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I, I got to say, I'm going to be a fan of you. I watched the first three episodes, and they were astonishing. I've never seen such great television, and I've seen a lot of great television. Well, thanks. Just say I, thanks. That's good. <laughs> I just was very moving and still into this idea of how good television has gotten recently. And we're going to talk about why that is and what's happened in the television industry, especially this is on Hulu, not on a network, and how you produce differently or if you do at all. But let's talk a little bit about your background. You've been in regular television production for your career. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I started in features a very, very long time ago, but quickly moved into TV. It seemed to suit my I, – I like it better. You get to work with other writers, which mm-hmm. is uh, something you don't get to do in the feature world. Right. You just write the movie and move yeah. on. Right. And you sit, sit at home alone in your sweats. And Here you, you get to go to work and sit in and your sweats. And have a writer's yeah. room and sit in your sweats and eat food with, yeah, with, with, other, food. Writers. Yes, with other writers. So talk about sort of what, what your experience was until this. Like what led to this, moving to this? Well, um, I had worked on a lot of different shows um, uh, over the years, uh, some network shows, some cable shows. The, the the industry really changed a lot in the time that I've been in it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the first few shows I worked on, you know, uh, I worked on ER and I worked on Everwood. You mm-hmm. know, they were pretty big yeah. network shows. Mm-hmm. And then gradually I just, I mean, all the jobs that I got and all the things that were offered were on either – some sort of cable, and and then gradually it started, you know, kind of uh, started to hear about stuff on pay cable, and then you start to hear about stuff that's going to be on streaming services, and now that world has uh, exploded in terms of the amount of shows that they're making original content. So I was in a very, you know, kind of traditional storytelling world, Mm -hmm. but uh, you know, in fact, my job doesn't change all that much because everything is narrative, right? Sure. Yeah, I mean, I mean, basically, for the last six thousand years, you know, we've been basically telling stories that are mm-hmm. about one or two hours long, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and it, that's just continued. So it isn't. It, my job hasn't changed all that much in terms of uh, the writing part of it and the narrative sure. part of it, but um, the environment has changed, you know, just incredibly around me. But we're going to talk about that later, about what it's like to be a creator in Hollywood right mm-hmm. now. But we'll talk about The Handmaid's Tale. How did the, this has been a movie. This has been a book that was written many decades ago and has been a, a movie. Um, I think Faye Dunaway was in it, Robert Duvall. Natasha Richardson. Natasha Richardson. Very strong movie, but a movie, a movie feature. And then it went away. And then when Trump got elected, voila, everyone's buying it again. <laughs> And worried about the way this country is going, even though the Republic of Gilead is pretty far down the line of what's happening now. At the same time, people are worried. So you had been making it before that. Is that correct? Or how did it come to fruition? Well, um, I read the book when I was in college. And Mm -hmm. so when it was made into a movie, and it's been adapted quite a few times. It's been a ballet. It's Mm -hmm. been an opera. You know, it's it's been everything you can, a 
it's been plays, it's been a whole bunch of different things, everything you can imagine. So um, when I uh, came to the project, the original writer was Eileen Chaikin. Mm-hmm. Um, Who's a friend of mine. Who, you know, had been working on this and soldiering along on this project forever and mm-hmm. trying to get it made. And I was just excited as a fan, you know, mm-hmm. like, ooh, it's going to be a TV show. And mm-hmm. I'm, I was, you know, I loved the book and I had reread it over the years and I had listened to the audiobook by with Claire Danes which mm-hmm. was spectacular and so um I, you know I was just waiting for it to come out but every year or so I would have my agents check and see what the status of it was half because I would hope that there was a job for me but half because you're just excited for it to come out and you know they checked and it found it turned out that you know Eileen had uh was busy doing Empire and, yeah. the, and who had acquired the project and they were looking for someone to run the show. So that all happened well before the election, yeah. well before the election began, right. even before people were really starting to talk about the real primary candidates. Right. right. It was interesting because I remember Eileen talking about she was on um, The L Word, had run The L Word and then moved to Empire. And she'd always talked about this project, one of her sort of dream projects. But to explain the, the plot of the book, just so people who have not, who don't understand what The Handmaid's Tale is about. The Handmaid's Tale um, takes place, uh, the book, in the book, mm-hmm. it takes place in the near future, right? The book was published in 86 and it mm-hmm. takes place just in the near future. And it is after a totalitarian theocratic coup has taken place in the US and the government is is being run under very kind of strict old testament Christianity, kind of a perverted version of Christianity. And the main character, Offred, plays a handmaid. It's a world where uh, fertility rates have fallen quite precipitously. Mm-hmm. And handmaids are fertile women who are gathered up and kind of made property of the state and then given to live in the houses of uh, higher level people in the in the community in order to try to get pregnant so that those people can reproduce. Can um, have children. Can have children. And the way they reproduce is bizarre. Yeah, it, it is as literal a biblical uh, <laughs> adaption as I've ever seen. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's called The Ceremony. And, you know, in the book, it's described very specifically. And we tried hard on the show to take all of that and just work out kind of the practical kinks about how you would actually do that. Um, but it's it involves all the husband and the wife and the handmaid all right. together at the right. same time. It uh, One of the reviews, I think, called it a joyless three-way, and it very much is a or joyless. Or formalized rape. Yeah or, yeah, or formalized. I mean, formalized, institutionalized right. rape in such a weird, like, but domestically, you know, mm-hmm. a ho- home home mm-hmm. institution. It, I mean, it, it, it's horrible on on. Every level, but also s- absurdly arcane and specific. Right, uh, as these groups tend to be. And right. our our heroine, even though kind of whilst kind of enduring the horror, definitely keeps one eye on the fact that this is the craziest, bizarre, kind of sad, pathetic thing that she's ever been involved in. So mm-hmm. uh, it's nice that she doesn't lose that. Right, and it's her of it. story of Offred, which is not her name. It's of Fred, right? Who is her? Owner, I guess I don't know how to put it. Yeah, um, yeah. I I always say owner that she her name is what's called a patronymic, which is a name made from uh, the male person, the head of the household, uh, and and languages. You, you know, the, that's that's a 
uh, there are other languages that have patronymics in it. It isn't always considered a terrible thing. Um, but uh, she is uh, of Fred. We do find out her name in the TV show. In the book, it's never mentioned. Mm-hmm. A- and it is one of the most kind of just on a base level kind of gut-wrenching parts of it is that she doesn't even have a, a, name. a name. And, and you know, you get into kind of the – it's not – it's it changes when she moves from place to place. You know, right. she loses of Fred and she'll become of Warren or of Stephen. It's, right. you know, it's even more – it's not just that they take away her name. They take away her concept of name. Absolutely. So you, this is also now. This was a book that had a beginning, middle, and end, and it had a movie that was the same thing. It had a, a an end, essentially, a conclusion. This is a series that's lasting how long? Well, because it's individual shows. It's individual shows. Uh, it's individual episodes. The first mm-hmm. season is ten episodes, and we're going to keep continuing the story on past there. So, you know, uh, as as long as they'll. Keep turning so on the is lights. it going to have more than the book? Then it'll go beyond what she, Mar- Margaret Atwood wrote, which was a brilliant book, but not a happy ending, and not a you know not a. Uh, I think a lot of people, including me, get kind of frustrated when mm-hmm. you get, get to the end of the book because mm-hmm. it ends. It, it right. ends rather abruptly. Um, mm-hmm. Part of that is because the point of view of the main character is so strict in the book mm-hmm. that anything that she sees, we see, and anything she doesn't see, we don't see. Mm-hmm. And so when her story kind of ends, our vision into the world is shut off. Mm-hmm. But we expand that point of view a little bit in the show, in, in little starting in little ways and then in bigger ways. But the book also, Margaret Atwood just creates this incredibly rich world, and there's things that were, as I read, were mentioned in the book that you really wanted to explore. Mm-hmm. So in some ways, I don't feel like we go beyond the book ever. I mean, mm-hmm. we're extrapolating out from what she's done, and we're also exploring parts of the world that she mentioned and talked about and described, but kind of didn't ever get right. us there. So you'd like to go more seasons beyond what... Oh, absolutely, yes. Mm-hmm. And I think we... I think we. But will. you don't have a Game of Thrones situation where the guy keeps writing like a crazy person. <laughs> no, no. I, I, I think there's there's kind of a, like, you know, a, a dog chasing a rabbit kind of aspect to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, l- yeah, luckily, we don't have uh, that. We're not following along, you know, Margaret writing ahead of us. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, we have have just by mining the book and also Mark has been very involved from the beginning and, and and there's all sorts of thinking that she did and and you know there's all sorts of stuff that she uh, that's up for discussion now that we're kind of teasing apart the book and mm-hmm. we've tried to modernize it and that brings up all sorts of questions so we've been able to kind of tap into to keep it a you know an Atwood world and an Atwood story as much as possible right we're in a unique position of having someone usually when you adapt a classic the author is quite dead and mm-hmm. margaret is quite alive she is <laughs> um but also um you know usually when you adapt a classic it's you know even if the author is around it was written so long ago mm-hmm. and there's so much intervening work in mm-hmm. margaret's case there she's so prolific um but she has a startling memory for kind of how she arrived at particular story decisions right mm-hmm. you know i certainly don't remember what yeah. why i decided to call someone bob instead of steve uh-huh. 35 years ago but boy margaret does yeah she does i saw i saw her being interviewed just recently in person uh with with elizabeth moss who plays the main character offering and she was talking someone asked her if she was gonna that, since this is going on if she was gonna write a sequel and she said no i'm, I'm she was working on something else i don't know she didn't really give a reason why not but she's she, she wouldn't say what she was working on because she didn't want her editors to know because she's changing <laughs> it which i'm like at this point margaret Atwood could do whatever margaret Atwood wants to do yeah, well, um, absolutely. but she was yeah. like i don't want them to be mad at me i was like don't worry margaret 
or not. You can, <laughs> you can do whatever you feel like. But what was interesting is that, that she didn't want to do a sequel when this is a perfect time to do a sequel, correct or not? Um, I don't know. I mean, I think that uh, for me, it always felt like I was dying for more. Mm-hmm. So the perfect time to have a sequel would have been five minutes after I finished the book. You right, know? right. But um, yes, I mean, I think that the, the, the world has changed. The politics of the world have uh, gone in some directions that certainly Margaret, you know, feels like feel like kind of dovetail into her just the feelings of having a big, impersonal kind of cruel hearted government, mm-hmm. uh, and the people who are being governed over are feel completely helpless, and it feels like an intractable situation. Whether it's whether they're coming from a religious point of view or another point of view, I know that that. Uh, I certainly relate, always relate to the material on that level, just the the faceless, cruel government. Talk about this timing, because this book suddenly got is selling like crazy as if it's a it's a new book. Um, And and it's ahead of the series. So you have perfect timing here in terms of people's interest in a, you know, the scary possibilities of of a populist government moving into a theocratic government. Yeah. And I think uh, I think it isn't even uh, it's a populist government turning into a populist government. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think any time. Uh, that that you know a government kind of is taking more control and getting more involved in people's mm-hmm. lives. Uh, that's always scary. And the thing about a totalitarian state is is that just like its name, it's it control tries to control the total person. Mm-hmm. So there's lots of scenes in the book where you where I I found it absolutely fascinating the the moments where. A, the state enters into your bedroom or into mm-hmm. your most intimate relationships, you know, between you and your 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 significant other, or between you and your children. And here you get to see that, mm-hmm. um, and uh, that to me feels, at least just and just personally, about that's the uh, the nervous relationship it has to the world that's going on today. today. Absolutely, um, you know. Where we where we have a government that you know in some ways they proclaim well, we have a, a leader. Well, we have a leader, but mm-hmm. we also have have a government that in some ways is is very, is trying to promote a hands off philosophy, and in other ways trying to promote a very hands on philosophy. And you don't know, you know, it's, it's so unpredictable. Mm-hmm. Um, just like Gilead, they 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 you know have this moral purity. This and meanwhile they're acting horribly just, behind you know, the scenes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every practical thing they do is terrible. But but all their pro- proclamations are right. moral. And so there's someone who talks about moral things, and then meanwhile, off to the side, has a whorehouse, essentially. You know? yeah, yeah, or is or is <laughs> has you know institutionalized rapers mm-hmm. taking people's eyes out. So right, right, absolutely. Uh, so so I think that that uh, that certainly you know jives with kind of some of the psychology of the way that I feel now that you kind of can't put your finger on what the hell the government is. But this, this, yeah. it does. I have to say it resonates. Two things. Let's talk a little bit about the show and then in a little bit we'll talk about what it's like to produce for something like Hulu compared to networks um, in the next section. But you have one of the things that's astonishing is it's so it's so prescient. Even this show, you have a yoga pants episode or a yoga outfit or the, the, the two women are running. You have a lot of flashbacks of how it got to where it got. Um, which was very quickly, which was super quickly. Um, but the two uh, two of the main characters, including Elizabeth Moth, are, are jogging and they get looked up and down by a woman who is very upset by their yoga pants or their outfit or something. She that gives them the stink eye, stink I think eye. it's called. Yeah. <laughs> and then she goes into the coffee shop, which is now being run by a man when it used to be run by a woman. And he insults what they're wearing and says they shouldn't be wearing that. And then their credit cards don't work because this is a tech attack at the same time on women, which is interesting. Can you talk about that? 
Because I can't believe you did the yoga pants thing and then United did the yoga pants thing, kind of thing, <laughs> which is kind of funny. Um, yeah, the the you know we just tried very hard to put them in in uh, that was consulted with Lizzie and Samira. Mm-hmm. Like, what do you go running in? You don't, you know, when you're in a position of being me, when you're being you know uh, you know a, a guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, trying to make those decisions, you don't want to kind of lay over what you think someone would be running in that mm-hmm. someone else might think is slutty. Mm-hmm. Um, so we just kind of let them say, okay, well, what exactly would you wear if you went out running? Mm-hmm. And they, you know, we had lots of different options, and they had lots of different things that they wore out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, it we didn't change that at all. Uh, and it, the I think the thing that's um, so startling for me in that moment is just the, the venom that mm-hmm. this guy has. And it seemed to me that it was just, you know, something was happening in the world where people were felt like they were allowed to say those things. Right. And that, to me, was, that was the, the thing that, that struck me most during the political season leading up to the election mm-hmm. is that and since then that everybody that the people with very dark thoughts have suddenly been verbalizing them right in absolutely. cruel ways in ways that i didn't think people even thought before mm-hmm. and certainly things that i don't think people would would have said to each other that are all kind of coming out and so that that part of it i i felt really aligned with how people were thinking now you know mm-hmm. but get, you wrote it before that i right? wrote it before that right that people and margaret would be. wrote it before that right you know the scene in the book's not quite the same it's mm-hmm. just um but the uh the turning off of people's credit cards based on their gender w- mm-hmm. was something in the book i mean mm-hmm. so so margaret 35 years ago that was you know possible mm-hmm. um and uh it, there was just it was just something so scary uh, and you know, you feel so powerless because, mm-hmm. you know, just one switch somewhere in a big, I assume, some giant room full of switches mm-hmm. uh, can, yes, can do Yes, it's a some, room of switches. Yes, yeah, there's a room of switches that control us all. Uh, there is, it, actually. It, it seems like it, it, you know, it's so plausible and also so terrifying because it doesn't mm-hmm. seem like there's any route to undoing that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you have to put that in the context of the world that they're living in. Mm-hmm. You know, it feels a little like like Gilead comes on quickly, but if but if you lived in a world where um, fertility had dropped 90, 95%, mm-hmm. the world, the entire world would change so much in so many different ways. Right, absolutely. You know, and so people would be a lot more open to anything. Anybody who says, I have a solution, even if it's a spiritual solution, mm-hmm. um, would be, you know, w- would rise in power immediately. I think, it, you know, it, I think people would be terrified of something like that. That we couldn't that. have children. Yeah, I mean, I think just a world where people in general can't have children as opposed to it's the exception, uh, you know, and I think it would be terror that grew very quickly right. like in the movie children of men where mm-hmm. where all of a sudden you realize hey i haven't seen a child around for a while or hey i haven't you know and there's moments in this series later on um we tried hard to it's hard to find a way to visualize falling birth rates uh, right. but we did some we i think we came up with some cool stuff yeah so the so it's also about the the tech of it because you can't think of all the things we are tracked on today i mean the ability to track us if a government like this took power it's very easy to take control of the citizens i mean that's what i think you depict really well even though it's just a credit card you can think of 900 other ways oh, to I, figure out who was gay who was not gay because gay people obviously got arrested and killed and sent to the outer limits of the of the Yes. Yeah. I mean, I think the, there's a combination of things. We tried to be very practical about what would disappear 
if mm-hmm. fertility became a, an issue, mm-hmm. including cell phones. I mean, the, the idea that anything that even there was a rumor that it affected fertility would be gone. Mm-hmm. So there's rumors about cell phones. There's rumors about cell signals. There's rumors about Wi-Fi. There's rum- so a lot of those things would already be gone, not mm-hmm. entirely, but but as much as possible, right. um, just for for the idea of trying to promote fertility. Um, so you know we we tried to track kind of that that part, mm-hmm. but um, the in terms of like how how people kind of end up you you'd say well no one would ever register as a fertile woman you know mm-hmm. well why if if you called someone and said uh, but we looked i looked very closely at the development of world war 2 and how how they knew in a time where there was much lower tech who was gay who was catholic who was mm-hmm. this who was that um and what what ends up happening is if if fertility rates fell and I said to you, listen, you're a fertile woman, um, the government wants to give you better health care for free because mm-hmm. you're more valuable or vouchers for food because we want to make sure that you're – and then we also want you to come in and, and, and get, uh, you know, an exam – you know, mm-hmm. all the time. And then we want you to register when you get pregnant, just so we know. There's lots of kind and very smart ways that seemingly smart ways that that could be happening mm-hmm. well before it turns into something nefarious and terrible. And of course, we're all tracked. I mean, I'm screwed at this point if a theocratic society comes Oh, yeah. We are, we're all, we're, yeah. yeah, we're all tracked. There's so much out there, which is one of the things uh, when we flash back that I love is how messy the world is. And mm-hmm. it certainly makes me appreciate it. makes it easier to drive home from work and all the traffic and music playing and mm-hmm. people watching. Because they around. Uber, it, yeah. they're using their phones, they're just, tindering. They're... The, the, I, I hope – it certainly made me appreciate the messiness of life now, mm-hmm. um, you know, and the messiness of the arguments that we can have. The, there's some good arguments in the show that don't really go anywhere, that don't settle right, a, right. A, a, anything in, in, the, in the past, which I think is frustrating to us now, but would, it seems like such a delicious pleasure yeah. when you're stuck like Offred is that she can't even have a conversation about, you know, what color she's going to wear that day. They right. can't have any conversation. No, absolutely. We've been talking about the the world which Margaret created and now has been dramatized in this series. Can you talk a little bit about the look and feel of the movie? Because And then I want to talk about what it's like to produce for Hulu or a Netflix slash Amazon kind of thing in this new Hollywood. But one of the things that's really interesting about this is is how it, uh, how you didn't, first of all, you didn't binge it like a house of cards, correct? You wanted to do it over, you put three episodes up at once, but not the whole thing. Uh, we put three episodes up at once. Um, uh, it, it really is, was up to Hulu in terms of what their model was, but it certainly was the first question I asked. Mm-hmm. Because from a storytelling point of view, having things that are on once a week is very different than having things that you binge all at once. And right. so I tried to, you know, make decisions that I, I could be a little more... I could stress people out a little more because right. they had some time to recover, yeah. and also yeah, I could you really make... upset me by the third show. I gotta tell you that last visual was oh disturbing. stop! It, oh come on, that <laughs> oh, was bad. yeah. I know it's yeah. horrific, and and Alexis Bledel is is it's fantastic, is spectacular yeah. in it. And so uh, you know, it was really their decision. But having so many uh, friends and seeing so many people go through the process of oh, I wrote a show for this network and it didn't have any commercials, and mm-hmm. I didn't think of that, or they did have commercials or it, it, all of them were coming out in one day and I want to know what right. that that you know what that does to the audience how do you tell a story where you're really blending one episode into another so we've had you know writers have been having those conversations for a while about mm-hmm. how that changes storytelling sure. and I think that you know it's important for us to be thinking ahead I mean uh, just because you know Hulu initially was going to put out an episode a week and then they decided 
after they saw the first three that they should put the first three to get people out hooked yeah. to get people hooked and to uh, sign up for Hulu and to sign up for Hulu and and for me that w- it was great but I you know certainly made the first three to be digested a little bit at a time and, mm-hmm. and I imagine some people got a stomach ache I know mm-hmm. my niece called me and said she hasn't slept for a night and a half mm-hmm. now yeah, just, uh, but I could not watch the rest which is I wanted to binge it which is interesting I'm so used to binging now because House of Cards is now coming out in May or June 1st or something like that yeah. May 31st I'm going to watch the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. I think you get used to, um, and also especially after you see a show, but this one's such a slap in the in the face and a mm-hmm. kick in the stomach yeah, yeah. that, you know, there there is a benefit to having a chance to breathe in between. And the other thing that I've found that's been really nice is that I was hoping that, you know, the, the social media universe would help people fill in some of the blanks so that I could mm-hmm. be more subtle, especially in the first few episodes of mm-hmm. a show like this where you have so much to establish and I um, I think have a uh, moral and uh, genetic predisposition predisposition towards not ever doing any, you know, any kind of explaining, mm-hmm. you know, so I try really hard not to have any of that stuff. And so uh, I think that it's nice that there's a, you know, a supportive audience out there that can so help. So tell me about that out. experience, because your shows before had a social media, end, but not like this. This one has much more one because it's a social media. De- it's Internet delivered, essentially. Yeah, it, it has a social media aspect, but also it was a book. Mm-hmm. And so I think that people uh, have more, there are people out there who have a lot more knowledge. And I found that people, you know, quite careful readers of the book yeah. uh, can really see where I made small changes and where mm-hmm. I made large changes. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, you, You've been twittified, right? Yeah, but Wait even subtly. And it's nice because, you know, I haven't heard too much uh, criticism of the fact that you actually do have to turn a book into a television show. Mm-hmm. You can't just film it. But, you know, what I was hoping is that when you watch it and, and that it's an enjoyable or entertaining, thrilling ride as a show, but then afterwards there's enough to think about and chew on and discuss that you can milk, you know, 40% more out of the experience. Right. So I think that's the way that right. I kind of try to make use of the week between episodes is right. to have enough to talk about to fill up that week. Did you – but you preferred that versus binging or do you not – it depends. It just depends I, how you're going to write it. It just depends. I just need to know ahead of time. It isn't right. – I don't necessarily prefer, but you don't want to create something for binging and then all of a sudden they decide to show it week to week. It's just a different right. animal. And, and, and things work beautifully. I mean, I mean, I know that, that I went back and binged lots of shows that had been on when I, you know, through the years and mm-hmm. they were on weekly and they certainly held up beautifully as Yeah. As I just recently shows. watched all of West Wing because oh. I liked that administration better. Um, <laughs> so I, it was like 900 hours of West Wing. It was very funny. It was it was fine all yeah. at once. Yeah, it, it was worked fine just fine. Yeah. It did, it's interesting. Everyone, writers are always telling me, oh, binge versus this. I'm like, yeah, read it. Listeners don't, watchers yeah, don't and, care. And shows that are put together well, it's really interesting. Matter. They really do. Yeah, you don't need that cliffhanger. Although there's lots of, it's okay if you have them. Yeah. In, interesting, Elizabeth Moss was on that show. Yes, is, interesting. Very, very, very young. Zoe, she was trouble. She, she was, was she always was trouble. Um, so talk a little bit about this making something for Hulu versus a network. You've done all the different things, work for cable network. Is it is it a different well you say it's it's the same for a writer, but what what is it like now when you're thinking about your career? Well, the way that I think about it, the great advantage is that we're not shooting for a, an enormous audience. Mm-hmm. So uh, not not that that means we're not going to get it, but it allows us to be, um, as a writer, it allows me to be more specific and just kind of tell this story and not try to tell this story to people who don't want to 
listen to this story, but tell mm-hmm. it to the people who are going to seek it out. So I think that that's just better kind of uh, in general. That, and I think that's one of the things that's made this such a golden age of television is that there's more writers being able to tell, tell more different kinds of stories. Mm-hmm. So there's no pressure on the Because yeah. I think what Hulu's trying to do with this show is trying to get a transparent or a what Netflix done with innumerable shows and yeah. stuff like that. It seems like that's what they're doing. Yeah, it seems like they're trying to find something that's going to help kind of define their network. And they certainly, uh, from the beginning, were spectacularly supportive, um, even when I wanted to push quite far. I mean, you talk about care. the end of the third episode. Yeah. That was that was they love t- it. Tough, you know, yeah. tough stuff. And so they are they they were very supportive. Uh, I think the the biggest difference the biggest difference is such so subtle and such inside baseball. Mm-hmm. But the biggest difference is is that it doesn't have to be a specific running time. Right. That I can be anywhere between 41 minutes and 61 minutes. So tell minutes. me about that. That's interesting. Well, it changes everything. I mean... Um, you tell the story until it's done. Well, uh, I know that my daughter, who's 12, I have older brothers, but my older, she has older brothers, but um, she consumes so much media in in a day, so much narrative Mm -hmm. that she knows exactly what's going to happen. You know, A happens and B happens and C happens. Um, And so part of that in television is because you know about when it's going to end. Right. So you, and so you have this internal clock. It's the same way I think when you read a book, we're so used to kind of figuring out the story just based on how much book is left. Mm-hmm. When you read on a Kindle, if you don't really pay attention to that, it, it, it's kind of unsettling. You don't right. know where you're a little untethered. Mm-hmm. And so w- not having a very specific uh, running time allows me to uh, uh, surprise the audience in ways that, that, I ha- that I don't think was quite as possible when you're – I mean, in uh, people don't generally know. You know, a, a, a show on, on a network is – the the time limit is quite prescribed, you know, mm-hmm. down to the second. It's gonna you're gonna turn it in. It's gonna be forty three minutes twenty two seconds long. Right. That, that's it. So here I don't have that. So that means that I can extend scenes out, and there's 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 a lot of uh, pacing. And and um, our show, you know, we took our time with visuals and mm-hmm. and all of those kind of things. But also, I think you can fool people into thinking, not knowing which of the storylines is going to end up being the most important at the end of the episode. Right. And for me, I like to write that way. I like to write, you know, I, I don't want to be able to kind of track the story from A to B to C to D. Um, it doesn't feel as real. It's much more predictable. And also, I find that, that you know, you can get your your goal is to get to an end that feels inevitable yet absolutely unpredictable. Right, which is great for you as a as an artist, correct? As, yeah, as it, it allows yeah it allows me to kind of push harder and fuss mm-hmm. harder, and then um, and you can push the actors quite a bit more because you know you aren't saying this scene has to be ninety seconds long or the scene has to be right. fifteen seconds long. They can they're going to be as long as the performance takes, and you can change it during the process, correct? As you move through it. You could if you wanted to. You can add things and subtract things. Oh, during the during yeah. the shooting process? shooting process? Yes, and during editing. I mean, I think that the the, the amount of of, you know, time that we show uh, that is offered going through the house and offered going through her life and none of those things are there by accident. There's always we don't you know, we're not trying to just indulge the 
the beauty. What we're mm-hmm. trying to do is make sure that you see every single part of her story in the Which episode. is interesting now that I, I didn't realize that because you really do show a lot of – the visuals are critically important to this. The way they move, the way they're – they put on these particular uh, cloaks, I guess, and yes, hats. Yes, absolutely. And the way they move is almost like a ballet. It's, but, but you would never have that in a television show. You're right. They take it out because they'd say cut that. Yeah, uh, because because you don't, quote, need it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there there's two things – you know, uh, you know how you define what you need is really the biggest decision that I, as a showrunner, mm-hmm. make. Mm-hmm. And I try very hard to kind of say, what you think we need is not necessarily what we need. It depends what you're trying to get out the other end. And and in our case, there's often the, the, the narrative drive for our episodes is, you know, Offred is trying to stay alive. That's right. our narrative drive. Right. Um, and so you can do a lot of different things within that world if you're allowed the freedom of not having to stay on a on a path that's built by plot. It can be built by a character arc and or built, you know, ideally by decisions that Offred is making along the way that we we along with her are just complete we we want them to be correct decisions. Right. But boy, we're as blind as she is. Right. That's interesting. So are the are the executives at these places more at Hulu, for example, more involved? Maybe they don't know anything, so they're like, well, oh, do whatever you want. It seems like a lot of them have been like that, although they're getting more professionalized for sure. But initially a lot of them didn't weren't meddlesome. Just whatever everyone I talk to it's like, oh they don't really bother me. You know, which is a, a welcome thing from notes it, all the time and everything else. It is. I mean I think that you know there's there's two sides to the coin. One side is that is that uh they they have made a decision to let people like me be the guiding force behind the shows because they think that the that way the show comes out to be more of what they need. It's like that with an engineer. Do it. Make it, make what you make. Right. Make what you make. And then but uh the other side of that coin, and this is just human nature, is when you're making a show on a, on a network that has 26 shows, you get a little, you get a different kind of attention than than you do here when they're making two shows. Mm-hmm. And so they do pay, I mean, each show is a big investment for mm-hmm. Hulu and, and a big creative investment. So they certainly are very involved. And they, um, you know, they certainly haven't been meddlesome, but I think that's... Uh, personality you know it's show by show and personality by personality mm-hmm. and and the show from the very beginning uh kind of blew all of us away right. we were very happy with it from the very first time we saw dailies and so i think that that helps right. um and also you have a book that you're, you're you're standing on a bit of a foundation you don't have to sure. it isn't all just me waving my arms but, and but it seems like a lot cool. of the really creative stuff is coming out of Amazon and Netflix and now Hulu, which is interesting. Like, I'm, why didn't this go to? A, did you take it to a network? Uh, it had gone to well after Showtime originally had the project, mm-hmm. and when they decided well, not to do it anymore, say. MGM I think took it out, and I think there was quite a bidding flurry for people to get it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know who was involved in that, but there were lots of people. So um, I'm thrilled that it ended up where it ended up. Were you worried in any way that it was Hulu and not? You know, Netflix, because there must be a pecking order now among internet companies. And then uh, Amazon's all of a sudden coming strong. There, 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 you know, was I, was I worried? I'm always worried at a, at a new place that, that, that too much of my time is going to be spent kind of explaining how the excruciating minutia of it work and why it should work that way mm-hmm. and stuff. Um, just always. Uh, but, but this, you know, was not the case. They had, they have people there who have not only experience at other companies they have experience at this company going through this process mm-hmm. and so they were they were um completely professional and and they knew how things worked and all that kind of stuff and we had MGM was the studio and they were very helpful um but you know you know in the end 
they left me to my own devices mm-hmm. uh and and you know once they were once they started to see uh dailies with Elizabeth Moss and mm-hmm. you know Ann Dowd and Alexis Bledel and all these people who were just yeah, off the charts amazing terrifying. that they um and Dowd is fantastic and, oh, and yes. the nicest woman I know really, just the oh, most wonderful she always plays mean ladies it's oh my wonderful. gosh she's she's terrifying she is a spectacular mm-hmm. fascinating actress um and just, you know, she's like everybody else has brought sides to Aunt Witty that you don't see in the book and that mm-hmm. you don't see in the other movies, which is the great benefit of television is mm-hmm. you get a long time to right. build up and get to dig around in these characters. Uh, but, um, you know, her uh, Anne Dowd and um, Yvonne Strahowski, uh, who plays Serena Joy, the yes, wife of the commander. Yes, another terrific actress. Who, who is, where did she come from? That's another thing that's great about internet stuff. All of a sudden you're like, where did they come from? Well, Yvonne's had a long yeah. career. She was on Chuck forever. Yeah, she, I never watched she, Chuck. She was, on, she was on Dexter for a, yeah. a you know, very very memorable year. She's yeah. done lots of stuff, but never anything like right, this. Right, that's what I mean. I just um, noticed her. I, I know yeah. who she is, but you know what I mean? It yeah, sort no, of absolutely. Um, and, and she fought hard to to get the role she mm-hmm. um but they both bring sympathy to these completely awful people awful awful cruel just you know uh, 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 terrible human beings mm-hmm. and they bring lots of sympathy and you feel sorry for them and you understand them i and, don't know about aunt lydia but yeah i get I, but she's over still time, over time yeah, okay. over time we'll you'd be. be surprised i mean it's it's uh and i think a lot of that has has been just approaching it you know, like I always do, but but you approach, you know, no one's a villain right, in their own story. So, so uh, one more question in this section. Were you, were you had a hard time getting actors to do this? It seems like not anymore. It seems like a lot of actors really want to participate in working for Internet companies, essentially. It wasn't hard to get actors doing it, but... Well, um, they need a job, right? <laughs> well, yeah, job's I mean, a everybody, a, a job's a job, and um, that's certainly part of it. But, it. but that wasn't the case here. I mean, I, we had people... Who I I mean Joseph Fines and people who mm-hmm. are taking what what are small roles in terms of screen time but are hugely important just in the canon of literature and the, mm-hmm. who they were dying to do these mm-hmm. roles because it was the Commander in The Handmaid's Tale. So having the book helped certainly Elizabeth Moss. Once you sign up Elizabeth Moss, uh, any you know worry that it's not going to be good mm-hmm. uh, gets to you know slides down a little bit on the scale. And then, uh, you know, as we pulled our cast together, we were getting uh, a dire- directors in line and Reed Murano, who's who directed our first three episodes, whereas she wasn't part- that experienced or that well known. Uh, her work was, is, is amazing. And I think uh, some of the actors knew her from that. And also, you know, my uh, Warren Littlefield is my non-writing executive producer and he oh, and wow. my partner on this very close partner on this. And he. Uh, you know that brings a lot of cachet and comfort time, for a very time. long time. Yeah, absolutely. But Bruce, what do you mind being on a streaming platform and not a not a? Does it matter anymore for you as a creator? Absolutely not. I mean, it, and and most people like you. How do people feel? How do you know you're? Do most a, people like me? I hope no, no, most not people like, you. like me. No, no. I mean, do most people like you? Think about. Do they care if they're making something for Google or Apple? Because Apple's just started to make stuff. I, you know, I, I don't think so. I mean, I think as long as the as long as the the process runs in a logical fashion, um, a, you know, a lot of the the producing part of what I do, as opposed to the the writing and and, you know, you just have to 
there are decisions that you have to make well ahead of time mm-hmm. that don't seem like things you have to make decisions you have to make well ahead of time. Mm-hmm. So you have to go to people who are not used to being pushed to make decisions to say, I know it seems like six months from now is the time you'd have to make this decision. Mm-hmm. But if you don't make it now, now is six months from now. Today right. is the day. Yeah. And so there's a lot of uh, deadlines uh, where where uncertainty causes a lot of problems in, in on a TV well, series. Well, they've done it, right? Yeah. yeah, and so it's a it's a big train. But I don't feel... I mean, I think there's not a stigma, but, but there's so many platforms that are coming quickly. I think there's a lot of confusion about what might be a, a more or less legitimate one just in terms of distribution, you know. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, if, if a company is willing to put uh, the time, effort, and money mm-hmm. into a show... And and I feel like it's a show that you can do well for that time, effort, and money. Then I'm, you know, it, it really doesn't matter to me where, how it's going to get into people's lives. But interest, interesting, in previous years, this kind of show would have gone on HBO. Absolutely. In fact, I wrote Richard Plepper. I'm like, you're an idiot for not taking the show. <laughs> just, I can't believe they didn't pay up for this. Um, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I was surprised um, too. I mean, mm-hmm. the, but you know, I, I'm I'm very happy with the way where it ended up. I think that you know this hadn't been made into a series for a long time for a reason. I mean, it was a little tough to to mm-hmm. crack. Mm-hmm. You know, every writer is told never use flashbacks and never use voiceover and, and this <laughs> you whole do both and I time. I break every rule. Um, but you know, you have to you have to find someone who who both has the right angle on on writing television. The right, I mean, I. I try to make things very grounded and very mm-hmm. realistic and in this case that's what makes them scary is there anything different you do for writing when you're streaming versus or not it's just the same people are watching it the same. uh well i i, I well, people th- could be watching on tiny little devices yeah and... people could well that's the thing is you know you you nowadays we have to make television that works on a 45 inch television and on a phone mm-hmm. so that's a, a cinematography challenge uh mostly we try to ignore all of those things mm-hmm. and just make something beautiful mm-hmm. and effective and bring this book we kept going back to the book and try to bring the book to life right. um, because that's what I wanted as a fan of the book I wanted the book to, to come to life uh, so I think that you know there are a lot of cin- cinematography and technical challenges with that kind of thing uh, but I think the the other thing is you know we can use language we don't have to worry about no. using bad language and in this case I don't like pussyfooting around uh, you know it, it's like you don't want to worry about language and you don't want to worry about nudity even if you have no nudity and no bad language. You mm-hmm. just want it to be a natural world. Mm-hmm. And certainly there's not very much it's not explicit sex in our show. It's very explicit, but it's not nudity. No. Yeah. Um and so uh but I think that you uh, for this show, in order to be unblinking about what this world is like uh, there's a scene in episode three where we sh- show um, a trial and then the aftermath of the trial mm-hmm. for, for a, hanging. Oh, a hanging. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. horrible. Um, and once again, as Margaret Atwood said, there's nothing in the show that d- doesn't happen in the world. Right. Absolutely. And we took those images, you know, right from. Yeah, it definitely has a documentary feel too, in a lot of ways. In some ways. Yeah, a very. Per- but it's beautiful. It's uh, not. It's a beautiful yeah. documentary. That's what's interesting. Is I went. It, it, your show looks great on a phone. I watched one episode on a phone. I watched another on a on a computer, and I watched a third on a television. Um, and they all look beautiful. Although I did go back and watch the one I watched on the phone, the one where they had the all the handmaids killed that guy. Yes, I wanted the, to see it on a because it was beautiful. It was like a ballet, even though it was a murder. I know a ballet of violence. Yeah, uh, and I wanted to see it on a bigger screen. It was beautiful. It was uh, it was a remarkably 
you know, we, we've been, uh, from the very beginning, I was thoughtful about kind of what I wanted it to look like. Mm-hmm. And it took me a, a while to find kind of ways to articulate it or, or, or examples. I didn't think I was being so revolutionary. I mm-hmm. just wanted it to look real. Mm-hmm. I wanted it to look real and I wanted it to look beautiful because Gilead is beautiful. Um, our dystopias are usually dusty and full of robots. And right. so this one is <laughs> particularly, uh, you know, one of the novelties about it is how gorgeous it is. And, and also you, you kind of want to feel like, wow, we would be you know, without all the ritualized rape and terrible, you know, misogyny, be a nice place to live without right. all the executions. Except it's without any interest. It's you know, I was thinking that I was when I was watching. It's quite clean. Oh, it's it's, it's very clean, clean, but it's not. It's antiseptic. It's yeah, that is a good word. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, it's it's perfect. And uh, you, you know, you you feel like you're walking through a painting. Mm-hmm. Um, but I but I think that. We wanted it to be beautiful, but the whole point of a thriller is that if you can't imagine yourself in that world, mm-hmm. um, and this is a world with weird hats and weird cloaks and weird language, if you can't imagine yourself there, uh, it, it loses a, a good chunk of its of its fearsomeness. So I, I, you know, we tried very very hard to make it seem like the real world uh, on on every level and and um, Julie on Berg, every screen on every on every in every image and and also uh, kind of what you're seeing and the backstory of what you're seeing would make sense to get that thing there. You know, why Why are there particular foods in the grocery store? Why are there particular cars That's in the right. street? That's right. They want oranges, right? Oranges. They want oranges, They yeah. want oranges, but they yeah. can't get. The oranges are exciting. But the grocery store itself is this beautiful, looks like Ralph's. Antiseptic, though. And yeah, no it, fun. It looked, yeah, Ralph's. Zero fun. Zero fun, but show. they have music. Though. Yeah, they do. So when you're, when you're thinking about billions for an audience, you do have a limited audience, the people who are subscribed to Hulu, who, who, who go and sign up. Is that a problem for you? Uh, or well, blank, the people who have Netflix, blank, the people who have Amazon Prime. It always is. I mean, it always is. You never want to restrict your audience by something that they've had to do before. Right the show right uh but you know uh you know hopefully people find uh, find the show i mean i i don't know after it's on hulu you know where does it go yeah. after that shows have a much have quite a long life these days which they is do. kind of wonderful you know mm-hmm. you know five seasons from now people could find the show and start watching from the very beginning right uh which certainly wasn't true yeah, i'm when just I was watching a kid. stranger things i know that I mean, but it was oh, last summer yeah, right yeah, <laughs> like, but, i just didn't get to it yeah yeah um uh and and i think that that Part of it, you you really do have to think about the fact that it, you know, everybody's not going to be watching it at the same time. Right, that's the other thing. Yeah, and there's no community aspect to that. Uh, well, there is on Twitter or yeah, Facebook. Yeah, but it's not like people don't sit and watch. You know, like when the hundred was on TV. Yeah. Pe- you know, on that for that hour, people were all talking on Twitter and you get people's reaction in the moment. Right. That's true. Do you monitor that as a as a creator? What's going on? Because the, the... I, I monitor it lightly. Um, I don't want. Uh, you know, I, I want to hear what people have to say. I don't want it to be knocking around in my head while I'm thinking about the next season. The next season. Yeah, interesting. The guy who created, I'm blanking on his name, Modern Family. He's wonderful. He's very techie. He's quite a nerd. He They get on there during Modern Family and watch what jokes hit and which don't, which is interesting because that's broadcast. So Yeah. But uh, but it was interesting uh, how he did that, and he said it does affect him. He likes that it affects him, and they also yeah. he also settles fights with other writers of what's funny <laughs> and what's not. Well, I would, I, you know, I definitely, you know, things things that I didn't I didn't expect to 
land in certain ways uh, have. And the, the, one of the big things is people were very, 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 very well versed in the book and watching the show. And what bumps them is mm-hmm. really interesting to me. Um, but mostly I, I'm finding that, you know, I, from the beginning, I, I just decided, well, we have a the audience is going to be smart and they're going to pay attention. And I'll just give them a show for smart pay attentioners and mm-hmm. and they <laughs> is, that a, is that a group that yes that is, that is. Uh, and they have mm-hmm. i mean uh, you know they, they pick up absolutely everything mm-hmm. uh which is you know wonderful for me because i feel like i don't have to do any exposition don't right. have to explain right you don't myself. like to explain anything yeah tell me do, the, do certain of the visuals really hit online do you guys all think of that because i'm thinking of the alexis bladell you know where she's wearing those white tights and has just been she had a clitorectomy, correct? I mean, that's yes. what happened. Yeah. And you know what it is, but you don't say it. But it's a beautiful image, actually, of her and those like that. Do you use that to get the people to watch the show? I mean, these because the visual images, I've seen so many beautiful ones online of the hats, um, especially the hats. I know it sounds odd, but <laughs> I know, you know, so, it's, so. it's interesting. Do you, do you think about that a lot? Oh, absolutely. We went into it very much from the beginning. Um, wanting it to be lyrical and and elegant and pretty mm-hmm. um uh and and a part of that you know was my goal from the beginning that you wanted to be to to and be creepy well yeah but you know iconic you know like um tableau you mm-hmm. want uh, these iconic images because they're from a book that people have been thinking about for so long you know the hats people have been imagining forever i mean we had a four month discussion about the color red mm-hmm. for the handmaid's cloaks mm-hmm. uh and so when we started looking for an, an actress you know when we uh, elizabeth moss Besides her, you know, incredible talent, that face. I love that face, and and that face is a lot of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, then used when, a lot, you've used her a lot in y- social media. Just this plain face. Yeah, just that's and no makeup at, at mm-hmm. all on her. And then um, the same thing when we started to look for a director. We I wanted someone who who could. I wanted to hire someone who could really make you feel like you were in this world, even when this world got a little swirly, crazy, absurd, whatever. And and Reed is a remarkable director and and an excellent cinematographer, although she wasn't that on our show, uh, and really can tell a story visually. And and I uh, wrote that. I mean, I wrote a lot of it is just storytelling that's visual with no words or even. It's actually important for streaming. You do you think about it? You have visual is much more important. And what about how much do you participate in social media for this? Because I've noticed your trailers are everywhere. You guys are doing a very heavy job using. And what works for you? I don't Uh, see a lot of Snapchats on this one, but maybe you are on Snapchat. uh, You know, there are there are a lot of. I don't know if there's Snapchats. There's a lot of Instagram pictures here. Uh, There's uh, uh, there's a lot of. Uh, all the all the actors and their individual kind of uh, approaches to to uh, social media, and and I you know I, I'm not super active on so I read a lot on social media, mm-hmm. um, but I do feel like I don't want to get until the show's completely out there. I don't want to get in the way of people experiencing mm-hmm. it. You don't want to be mansplaining how someone is supposed to. <laughs> it's you know, never stopped other men. <laughs> yeah, uh, you don't want to be like saying this is how you should react to it because mm-hmm. it's. That kind of takes away the whole fun of it. You know, it's like saying, I intended it to be funny or I intended it to be serious or I intended it to be mm-hmm. scary. That is kind of a non – it doesn't matter what mm-hmm. I intended. It matters what you experience. And so you don't want to get in people's way, especially when a show hasn't been on yet. After that, there's plenty of time to discuss. Um, so I I tend to just read do. a lot on social media and just and listen a, a lot and also 
you know, we've been out doing a quite a bit of press and it's fun to hear the questions that you get and mm-hmm. the, um and and you know and I haven't gotten um Oh, you're getting great reviews. Right? Oh, uh, I mean they've been It's almost like in, in polar opposite to the circle. You're you're getting all the great reviews <laughs> and you're getting all the and that's sort of the dyspeptic storylines, you know what I mean, which is interesting. Yeah, the the yeah, the ones that make you need a peptic. Yeah, exactly. Peptic. So, do you, do you feel worried about tech as a creator in Hollywood now because you know Hollywood's had this sort of weird relationship with tech as as more and more of these companies fund mm. these things, you know, again Apple just recently did, you know Google's going to get down here at some they are yeah. in YouTube, but not in a in a more larger sense. Yeah. They're just starting to both Apple, the richest two companies are starting to really you see can see Facebook entering the picture onto the side. They've talked about it, episodic television, things like that. Is that a welcome thing for you? Now, you're a creator, so more the merrier, I would assume. But how do you feel about Hollywood right now? I see you wearing an Apple watch right there. Can you imagine watching The Handmaid's Tale on that? Uh, no, I would rather not. Um, um, and, and By watch, the way, good for you for wearing it. And watching on your phone, you know, I, I, I think is it's a beautiful screen on an mm-hmm. Apple phone. And, and I've certainly Why watched lots of- new one? Yeah, I'm dying to see the new one. Uh, so I, I'm not worried about it. I, I feel like any anything, it's a universal good. You know, mm-hmm. putting more interesting things out there for uh, for people to see. And I think one of the funniest things is that you know, uh, you realize how we've been building up this huge catalog of television for how many years? For mm-hmm. you know, sixty That's years, and people have burned through it in a couple of years. I mean, mm-hmm. not every, not everything, but no, but yeah, but, but certainly people are starting to say, what else? What else? What else mm-hmm. and uh, I like that I mean I like that people are are enjoying serialized storytelling mm-hmm. uh, the only problem is that that in order to do it it actually takes a lot of time money thought and care mm-hmm. it just does to do it well um, and a lot of the things people are looking reaching back into the archives to pull out are things that took a very long time and a lot of care but when you watch it in two days it doesn't feel like that yeah so my only concern is that people are expecting high quality a little too quickly mm-hmm. um, because if you look at the, the Handmaid's Tale, one of the reasons it is beautiful and one of the reasons the stories do work in a subtle way and Lizzie's performance and all those things require a lot of thought and prep. I mean, it just takes time. Right. Uh, and We want it now, Bruce. Yeah, yeah I Bruce, know. Bruce, <laughs> come on. I literally was screaming for the fourth episode and I felt, I felt something was wrong with me and then I didn't care. It was really <laughs> interesting. I, but it was a weird feeling. It's like, why is he? Why is Hulu and this man keeping me from this? Like, yes, exactly. Why is know. this man keeping me from watching <laughs> well, my Handmaid's Tale? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> watching women being badly objectified in the future. The, <laughs> why? The, the, it's funny. It's a show that about objectification of women who doesn't really objectify anybody. I mean, mm-hmm. there's because there's there's no kind of model to it. You can't do it yeah. in, in Gilead. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I, I would like. More to me seems more is more, and you want it to be good. Right. So more doesn't. Are you worried about the business plan of Hollywood? Writers are about are oh. on strike, right? Are they? Did they go on strike? Did they, uh, they, midnight tonight. Midnight tonight. Is the, that's right. Am I worried about? Uh, you have the, to stop writing, right? Is that correct? Yes, I yeah. would have to stop. writing. Have you written a second season already? We're, Can you do anything once it's or not? Nothing. No. Once once if the writers' strike happens, I have to kind of put pencils down. You can't down. do. You, yeah, well, can't. Can you film what you have? No, because you can't change it, right? No, and 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 we are ready to start doing that. Yeah. Right. Um, so it would be uh, frustrating, but mm-hmm. 
you know, the business model of Hollywood is so elusive to me mm-hmm. and uh, also always seems to be kind of, you know, a few clicks behind the the times of what people are actually doing and how they're experience, how they're enjoying media and consuming it that I really I mean, I don't know. I don't know how it should respond because certainly, you know, I cultivate a great ignorance of Hollywood right. in general. You know, I know. Maybe some of those executives will be gone. Just, yeah. Well, I, they will. I just think um, it ends up offering smaller players a, a role in the, right. in the industry, which is wonderful. I mean, right. so but but for me, it's it's wonderful. It's the thing that's amazing is how much has changed just in the time that I've been doing this. Yeah. And I don't you know, I think the generation before me, it didn't change that much. No. And certainly the few generations before that TV was, you know, Soon you'll be fighting with Apple and Google. They have a lot of money, though. Yes, it's. Yeah. I mean, it'll be the same arguments oh, yeah. that I'm having now. Maybe. Like, no, no, no. I would like to do the clitorectomy. Well, it does. It, no, probably they'll let you do that. Yes, <laughs> but, well, yeah, yeah. But it'll be whatever, whatever the next clitorectomy right, is. Exactly. I'll have to argue um, for. Yeah. The, what's interesting is they do give more free. I do think they're more like let's see what works. Like they're very much and and a little bit algorithmic what works and stuff like that. Although they're not always right. But. Well, they and they get. Um, I know that Hulu gets uh, a ton of information about how people Absolutely. watch and exactly Where what they moment stop. they turn on and off and all this stuff. They haven't offered anything, and I'm sure if they had a problem, they would let me know. Would, would you be interested in knowing, uh, like, at that scene, uh, people stopped watching? I'd be interested to know if there was something that seemed very strange, if mm-hmm. there was an anomaly. But I don't know enough about when people usually turn off. You know, when do people turn off the Golden Girls reruns or anything right. else? But so since I don't know. have any context, yeah. you know, my context is really writing and a show and a story and and uh it seems like just at every turn when something else really interesting comes along that i could devote my life to studying the important thing is to just recommit yourself to because you know i've been doing this for 35 years and i'm just starting to figure it out right so you know i certainly have a lot of work to do in that area yeah well they could also tell you what they people like too which is interesting yeah which would be really fun although you you really need to sit and talk to people, you know. You know, yeah. Some, yeah. Well, a lot of some people like it, some people don't. It's a really interesting. You want to be informed. I spend a lot of time looking at the data of our site and what people are doing. Yeah, I think that's helpful. It, Although I don't know, maybe it's not. Maybe I should just go with my instinct. <laughs> well, I always, I, you know, I feel like it, you're you're always looking at what people liked, not what right. people like. You know, right. it's, it's always true. the past. You know, and true. so you you know you're, but but also you know, I don't know that I'm looking for people to. I'm looking for people to experience something and feel something and right. and you know think about something. N- not all those things immediately would get the checkbox of I right. loved it. Right, exactly. Yeah. But although paths are made by clicking, I think in the future we'll yeah. see if that works. Anyway, this has been a fascinating discussion. So they're coming out every week now. There's the first three are up. The fourth is on Wednesday, and then ten episodes until the next season. Yes, Wednesday. as long as you're not on strike. Yes. Well, mm-hmm. I, well I think these episodes will come out regardless. Oh yes, so, I got that. Yeah. So Wednesday at you know. First thing in the morning. So it comes mm-hmm. out midnight Tuesday night or midnight Wednesday morning, whichever you want to call it. And you hope to have it ongoing. I hope so, too. It's really fantastic. Yeah, I know. It seems like it, you know, it's so juicy that I, that I would love to keep going. You know, and we don't even need happy endings anymore after Game of Thrones. Everything could just end badly every oh, season. <laughs> I don't know. I feel would feel terrible if I... You know, broke everybody's heart over and over again, only to leave them with a broken heart at the end. <laughs> That's true. That's all right. We're good. At, we're good with that anymore. Thank you so much, Bruce. This is Bruce Miller, who's the creator of The Handmaid's Tale. I highly recommend it. I sound like a fan person, but it was incredibly moving, and it does prove that 
narrative still, no matter where you watch it or where you experience it, narrative is uh, is what counts. And well, thank you so much for having me here. Beautifully done, and I was I was very surprised because I've seen a lot of stuff. Anyway, if you enjoyed the interview as much as I did, be sure to subscribe to the show. Be the first to listen to future episodes or catch up on previous episodes, including some really fantastic interviews we've done with Mr. Robot creator Sam Ismail, Congressman Ro Khanna, and Radical Candle author Kim Scott. You can find these episodes and more wherever you found this one or on our website, recode.net slash podcast. Now that you're done with this, check out one of our other shows on Recode Media with Peter Kafka. You'll hear no BS interviews with some of the smartest people in media and entertainment. I host Too Embarrassed to Ask, along with Lauren Good of The Verge, where we answer all of your questions about consumer tech. And on Recode Replay, you can find audio from all of Recode's live events, including the Code Conference, which is coming up at the end of May. You'll be able to hear Lorraine Jobs, Senator Kamala Harris, and many more. This year at Code, we'll also have Steve Ballmer, Reed Hastings, and other excellent speakers. Thanks for listening. Thanks also to Digital Media, the company that distributes this show, including Beth O'Connell and our editor, Chris Basil. And thanks to our producer, Eric Johnson. This has been another episode of Recode Decode. I'll be back here on Monday with another great guest. Tune in then.